I was talking to Hetty earlier concerning recovery. So, <coughs> obviously, <coughs> people suffering from alcoholism are sort of irritable, restless, and discontent. Very agitated mind, usually closed down emotional system. Yeah. Uncomfortable in their skin. And then uh, we go into AA and we do these few steps, and then it leads to the fourth step, and we start doing an inventory process. You look at your fears that you have in life, that you did have and you do have, and resentments, you know, which means you're refeeling old uh, offenses, so to speak, either seemingly so or seemingly so. <laughs> They're all made up, really. <laughs> and then looking at how we acted out in the pursuit of what we wanted and stuff like that. And uh, so usually most people who are in the suffering stage, there's a four-column little process we use in recovery called the inventory process. And the first two columns, you know, most people in a bar right now are know that do the first two columns. They know who they're mad at and why. But obviously it's not bringing any relief. You know, they still drink and they're still doing this. It brings a lot of being right, but it doesn't bring much relief, yeah? So AA just takes it a little farther, not much. It says, all right, we're going to take we're going to take the light off of the people that harmed us and all the people that screwed us over and stuff and the situations and institutions, and we're just going to move the light over to us and see what our role was in it. Yeah, because usually from the victim role, you don't see you have any role. Yeah. From victimhood, you're not thinking, you're believing everyone's doing it to you. You think, well, everything would be great if everyone just did what I wanted them to do. They'd be happy because I'd be happy. You know, it's like an insane idea. So <clears throat> we're moving just a couple of things by doing an inventory, and the third column of the inventory is, well, what part of your instinctual agenda had to do with this resentment, right? Someone leaving you, let's say. Let's say there was a woman named uh, Mary, and I was seeing her. And she broke up with me. So there, the first column would be Mary. I'm mad at Mary. Why? For breaking up with me. Yeah? Then I'd bring it to the third column, and I'd go, well, what, what's causing me to be so upset by this event? Well, my personal relationships are threatened, especially with Mary. Yeah? My financial ambitions and my financial security is threatened because Mary's rich and I'm not, you know. So now the BMW's gone and the Pinto has to come out of the garage again, you know what I mean? <laughs> my sexual ambitions and my sexual wants have been threatened because I like to have sex with Mary and I was having sex with the maid, Mary's maid, and now that's gone too. So um, these are the reasons why, in a sense, that's like the the activator, that the fear around all those things not being met, like my personal pride, my relationships with people, sex, money, emotional security, because I believe that they aren't or they, they're not going to be taken care of, I see threats quite a lot. Yeah? And so then the A goes, okay, now you, you have that down. And then the fourth column is just ask yourselves four simple questions in, in, in all the events. Yeah? Yeah, and I don't. T- I never had a uh, like a conversation at a bar based on hey, where where have you been selfish and self-centered and inconsiderate and dishonest? <laughs> it doesn't usually come up in that venue. So you look at that and then you see hey, 
so I was selfish. Yeah, I didn't even like Mary that much, but I wanted the money, I wanted the comfort. Yeah, and now that it's being taken away, I'm pissed off at her. But my story about I want to be with her and her alone is a story. I really just want to be taken care of. Yeah. And instead of surrendering to a power greater than yourself, you're surrendering to yourself, trying to get taken care of out here. So then, all right, we see that, we tell the truth about that, and there's a huge relief, just from the predicament of the first two columns to the relief that comes from just admitting the fourth column, there's a huge relief. Why not take it farther? Why not take that, that investigation farther and see your role in everything, in a way? Where the Course in Miracles makes a huge leap, in a sense, it takes you from that recognition, hey, I have something to do with what's going on here. Maybe it's very little, but still something. It says, you're the dreamer of this dream. (laughs) I mean, it makes a huge leap from, oh, oh, yeah, I was selfish and self-centered, and that's, you know, that was my participation in this event. Basically, it's 99% their fault, but 1%, yeah, I was a little selfish. Now we're going to make a leap to, I'm the dreamer of this freaking place, yeah, and that the condition I'm in is I forgot that I'm dreaming this place, and I'm giving everything, all the power to affect me, that I'm dreaming. That's a huge leap. But also, if your mind starts entertaining in that direction, the amount of, the amount of relief that comes is huge. Yeah? The amount of relief is unbelievable after you do the inventory process. But when you go even farther, it's almost like, it's not in ratio, it's like 10 to 1. The more you go back to seeing your role in everything, the more the relief is from that role. My mental strategy was if I blame everyone, if I say everyone's doing it to me, and I deny my role in everything, that's going to be my relief. It didn't work, did it? It produces more anxiety and more unrest. But in this way, you see your role as the activity of what's happening here. In a way, you're the center of the whole thing. And there's a, there's a working axiom that you and I are giving everything all the meaning it has. So this day, you may be thinking it's a real thing called Saturday, and it has its real effects waiting to pounce on you to make your, your experience of Saturday really uncomfortable, but that's a false perception. Saturday is like a canvas waiting to be painted, and you're the painter. Yeah? This is the brush. See, we're believing this is the painter. That's the dilemma. Yeah? We recognize something's going on, but we don't know the source of it. We take it to be this. And there's where the ignorance rests and grows. We're the painter. We're that mind that's painting, and this is the brush. It's using every one of us as this action figure to brush this day out. Yeah? Every one of us is going to give color to this day. Not by us, but through us. Yeah? The mind, based, it's like light coming through a kaleidoscope or a prism. It's going, to, it's going to fragment based on the prism's condition. So your condition in a subjective experience is different than my condition. So you see things differently than I see things. Yeah? So in one way, there's one thing being seen, but it's being seen in millions of different aspects. Unbelievable event. Unbelievable event. And you'll see it. Let's say today something's bothering you. So this is bothering you. And you name it. It's lack of money or something like that. Yeah? Then, and you're not feeling well. 
You're not feeling good. You don't have much confidence. So this is really bothering you. The next day, you feel confident. You feel relief. It's not bothering you. Then the next day, you're not feeling too so good about yourself. It's bothering you. What is it? Is it something that bothers you or doesn't bother you? Because it's exhibited both. It bothered you one day. It didn't bother you the next day. It doesn't have any quality to bother you. You give it the meaning. You gave it the meaning one day based on your good condition. Hey, that's not a problem. The next day you're in bad condition, it is a problem. The next day you're in good condition, it isn't a problem. What is it? That's seeing your role in it. That's like leaping from the fourth column of an, of an introductory inventory in a spiritual kindergarten to a very, very intense place of relief. Yeah? Where you're now accountable for what goes on. Yeah? Even if it goes bad, you're still accountable because you're participating in it. Yeah? You're the seeing of it. So, just like this idea of a day at a time in recovery, unbelievable effect the day at a time has. I think I've met you before, haven't I? Yeah, years ago. What happened to you? Oh, there you are. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're on. Oh, I had surgery, a little artificial. They gave me a new joint. Oh. So, the day at a time, yeah? Now, if you, when I came in, that one concept produced a huge amount of relief. Because I realized my head wasn't in a day at a time. My head has never been in any day. Every day to it is a past day and a future day that it's thinking about, yeah? So the idea of a day at a time, how much relief it brought me. What about advancing that idea to, like, you cannot be out of any moment you've ever been in? I would say that's an incredible leap from, all right, totally believing in yesterday and tomorrow, and your mind is, if you look at your thought system, look at what it values. It values the past and the future. It doesn't value now. It's using this now to think about the past and the future. So obviously, it's not attending to the now. It's, a t- it's using the opportunity the now provides to think about yesterday and tomorrow. <laughs> what more information do you need to realize it's a failed system? If it's not even located where you are, yeah, it's locating you somewhere that you're not all fucking day. And then it's trying to tell a story from there. What I used to do with people when I worked with them in recovery, when I still work with people, I would say, why don't you just do a bare bare bone inventory? That means just right when you woke up, right, you had a cup of coffee, you took a shower, you went to work, you had lunch, and then try to remember, look at it, and remember your narration of that day, how different it was from actually what was happening. I, I mean, unbelievably different. You're thinking, you're not enough, (laughs) <laughs> I haven't done anything and you look your day has been fucking full but your story is I don't I, did, I didn't do enough yeah and yet even with that evidence that you did plenty the, the alliance or the the reliance is on that story that you haven't done enough that's called the bondage of self you're bonded to an idea and a story about life and you're allowing it to override what life is presenting yeah how can you come up with, I never do enough by one day, one Saturday by 11 in the morning? <laughs> you know what I mean? How could you already have that judgment of you that I, I haven't done enough? It's 11 o'clock in the morning. 
You know, the day hasn't even opened up yet. You've done plenty. You woke up, you brushed your teeth, you took a shower, you made some sandwiches, da, da, da. oh no, I haven't done enough. Who the fuck is that? It's the mind playing God, isn't it? And in recovery, the biggest unspoken step is the, is the quit playing God. It's the biggest one that's not spoken about much. It's immediately, oh, I came to believe and then leap into the third step. But when it proceeds to the third step, it says, first, you got to quit playing God. Next, in this drama of life, we're going to surrender our life, we our life over to the care of a power brainless. We'll be its servant, it'll be its whatever. Yeah? But it says, first, you got to quit playing God. What's your head doing all day? It's playing God. And who's listening to it? If you were one simple unit, why is an aspect of your head constantly trying to convince another aspect of you? <laughs> really. It wouldn't be just going ahead. It wouldn't be mulling over anything, trying to convince what's not mulling over something. It would just go. Yeah? What do you think that, why do you, how do you think people go out? The mind sets them up. It may happen all of a sudden, like, I don't know what happened. I was struck, I was struck drunk, or the mind starts telling them, this sucks, I suck, you suck, they're out to get me, and then the prophecy gets fulfilled, you do get fired, then you're right, and then right Friday you're drunk, yeah? And you get to be right, and alone and loaded, yeah? Now it's not talking to you anymore, is it? It's talking as you. So the convincing's over. It's trying to convince, convince, convince. It's sort of like talking to you, to you, to you. And suddenly it's talking as you. That's It's over then. You're on the run. <laughs> you may have 20 years it's forgotten like that because another system took over. Yeah? A system that you were getting relief from has now morphed over the relief and turned it into a freaking problem. I've seen people in recovery now. When I came in, I never was introduced to AA. Came into AA. I've been in programs, you know, living programs and stuff in jail and everything. Never, never went to AA. Came to AA, been sober and clean ever since. Now, in the years I've been in AA, I see people that have made the solution the problem. They go in and out of AA constantly. They never get to have a bottom anymore because AA saves their ass for a week or two. Then they go back out and it, I can't, and it can go on for eight, nine years. So the mind, the thing that's giving everything all the meaning it has, it can give the meaning of this program to some of us, which is the solution, the problem. It can use the program to facilitate the problem instead of opening up to a facilitation of a solution to the problem. I've seen it. Yeah. You can see it every day. So, you and I give everything all the meaning it has. That's what's going on. Yeah? It's not you, Paul, or David. It's the apparatus is giving everything all the meaning it has. Yeah? Let that sink in. See what happens. If it, It's not a passive spirituality. It's incredibly empowering because if, if the meaning of everything is being given through this, what would happen if this got calibrated a little bit. What would happen if, if the arrow moved to another station, radio station? Instead of K-Paul, self-centered all the time, it went to K-openness, centered. Yeah? And then see what kind, of, what kind of narration of life would occur. This narration, I find, is centered in now. It sees the real value is only available here. It sees the idea of God as a present tense. 
event, not a thing that was and will be and doesn't have any effect now, but only now. Yeah? And in what was and will be, you go alone. Yeah? But the higher power's invitation is right now. Yeah? If you're not here, you're not going to get it served. If you're addicted to the thought system, you're for all intents and purposes, you're not here. But the great news is you are here. No matter how it seems, it can't override the fact that you're here. Yeah? It doesn't, it doesn't, however it seems, oh, it's so freaking bad, it's not. It just seems to be so fucking bad. It can only, and what makes it seem real is the reality. You and I are the reality. Yes? That when we're entertaining, let's say, false evidence, false evidence can appear real to us. How could something false give any sense of realness unless realness gave it that sense? How could something false appear to be so unless what is so gave it that meaning? How could it? How could false evidence be so? It can. It says appears to be so. What's allowing it to seem to be so? What is so? How could an illusion seem so real unless the reality was giving it that meaning? Yeah? When you wake up, you see it quite clearly as like a cheap little film. It's the audience that makes it so good. I swear. We're in, we're in total cahoots with this event. We're not a victim. Things in a, nothing's imposing its will on us. For something that's false to seem to be so, it must be viewed by what's so, yeah, in an ignorant manner. What's so must be giving what isn't so the meaning of being so. The, what isn't so cannot give itself that meaning, because it has no fucking idea of what's so. It isn't. Yeah? It has to come from what's so. Where is it? Where is that being issued from? What's looking right now? What's looking? being bastardized by being take, claimed as who's looking. Yeah? Who's looking is the ignorant state of the reality. When the reality looks through that ignorant prism, things that aren't real seem freaking real. Yeah. And then they have the ability to affect what we're taking to be real, which is this. And so if you want relief from a dream tiger, realize you're not the dreamt object that's seeing it. Instead of trying to read books about how to cohabitate a small space with a tiger or, you know, how to, you know, fucking, you know, say affirmations all day, it's not a tiger. <laughs> it's a tiger as long as you're this. You're not going to see the unreality unless you see the unreality of what's seeing and is real. Yeah. This is what's such a beautiful message that AA brings you right to. It says, why are you in so much fear right now? Today, that's the only day you can be in fear. <laughs> You're thinking about being in fear next week, but it's producing the effect of being in fear today. You can't be in fear next week. You can't be in fear three weeks ago. The only place an experience of fear can happen is right now. It can't happen in the thing you're really worried about. <laughs> so it says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? That's why you're in fear. What? I'd like to have a big dissertation on that. No, one simple sentence. Simple question. Why are you in fear today? Yeah. I'm just going to run tons of stories. Yeah. 
But he says, he cuts it all off and says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed you? He's just throwing out a suggestion to entertain. See if it, res- see if it registers. For me, it really registered. Yeah? So if my mind is resting on a failed system, then my mind is, pro- is like, in a sense, projecting its reality through a bogus system, so what isn't real seems to be fucking real. And then what is real seems not to be real. Yeah? It has to be totally forgotten what is real to take this to be real. Yeah? To me, that's empowering to see the role that you're in here. That you and I are the dreamer of the dream. We've given it all the power to affect us because we forgot we're the dreamer of the dream. And how can it affect us? It can't. It can't affect what we are, but it can affect what we seem to be. This, yeah? I like that we all have different starting times. It's great. Yeah? The advanced people come in at the end. Some people just call and leave a message at the time. Of the <laughs> I mean, I'm totally obsolete. Yeah. Some lady came from Vancouver and she was so happy. She says, I really like the live event. I go, exactly. You know, she was safely entrenched in a little CD, you know, world, whatever, internet, YouTube. And then I said, it's good to come to a live meeting, you know. It's good. You feel something, maybe. <laughs> because, you, you know, this is like an introductory offer. And you don't get any product. You are the product. You are the product. You are, like St. Francis says, you are the what's looking that the you is looking for. You are the what's looking that the you is looking for. The you that's looking for, which is what this does, has been bastardized to mean me. The mental process has claimed this, this you and crowned it the, the, the repository of this mythical hybrid between mentality and physicality called me. It separates you from all the other yous. You'll see what's happening to another you, but you'll have an immunity to it because it's not me. <laughs> the me is the crowning of the playing god of the mental process. It takes a you, which is thousands of, millions of, and it makes it a very special you and crowns it me. Even though, in the experience of all the other yous, you are seen as a you, you override all that evidence and keep proclaiming, it's me. Yeah? You'll never see the me that is proclaiming. No one has ever seen me. Yeah? All they do is see a you. <laughs> and all I see is a you. Yeah? Not you, a you. And the only thing that's seeing is the true I. Yeah? The true I. It's right behind every bastardization of its movement that's being called a me. So if you question the me and realize it's not you, find out what occurs. Maybe there'll be a registration or a registering of the idea of I. The idea may become so obvious to you. And then that's the living freedom from the bondage of self. Because the bondage of self isn't a bondage to self. That would give self too much credit. Self is not like a thing or a chair. 
if I was bonded to this chair, it wouldn't be I'm bonded of the chair. The only way I could be bonded of the chair is being identified as the chair. Yeah? When you're bonded to something, a thing, something that seems to be so, you need a, some, a method or a, or a contraction to bond you, this thing, to another thing. So with this example, it would be a pair of handcuffs. So me would be bonded to this chair. So you would say bondage to the chair. But in recovery, we say bondage of self, because it's a mental activity. You're not bonded to anything because there is no self to be bonded to. It's a bondage of. So just like if I believed I was a chair, I would get up like this and walk around. And I'd be wondering maybe, why is my posture so bad? And I can't get into small spaces and stuff. But I would probably keep trying to adapt myself to that light because I was identified. Like if I had a tumor, a big tumor here, but I was thinking it was me. What would I do? I'd probably have to go to tailors and make different, you know, holes in my shirts to take it and use it like an armrest while I'm driving and, you know, and it would bother me, but I, it couldn't entertain me free of it because it was me. What would happen if someone came in and said, hey, bro, that's a freaking tumor. You can have that removed at the clinic. What? Oh, yeah. What would happen? You would think you would immediately go for it, but now you've got 20 shirts tailored. Yeah? you got an identification. People say, hey, Tumor Paul. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've got a little, you know. <laughs> There's been an investment in being the Tumor now. So someone done it. you may not even like hearing that message. You don't want your eyes to be opened. You may want to want to have them open, but you don't want them open because it's a threat. Your mind's very invested in being that Tumor. What would happen if you cut the Tumor off? There would be freaking relief. Yeah? It's the same thing when I did that thing, the pooper super thing, where you have the, uh, in recovery we have uh, the inventory process, and it says, a very incredible statement, being convinced, bear with me, a lot of people from recovery don't want to speak on that level of it, be convinced, which means to believe with certainty, that self manifested in various ways, yeah? So self manifested in a lot of different ways, yeah? is what has defeated us. So there's a separation there, right? Self and us. And the defeat of the us by this thing called self, it's not a thing, but let's call it selfing. The defeat of the us by the selfing appears in many different ways, or happens in many different ways. If you're convinced of that, hey, let's look at its, meaning the self's, common manifestations in one's life. So, the next paragraph starts with the word resentment, yeah? And that's the first topic you look at when you do an inventory. So, if you follow this logic, a resentment is an expression of self in your life, yeah? It doesn't come into your life, it comes through you, yeah? You're the one who's seeing something as a threat and then causing a remembrance of a past threat and then the resentment occurs, yeah? The apparatus is producing it, not, not, not life isn't come bringing a resentment into you. You're making the resentment in a sense, yeah? Based on, and this is how self defeats us. What's allowing self to do all this? What's allowing that mental activity to have such carte blanche uh, entrance into our lives? Yeah. If, it's, if it's as hostile as it seems to be, why wouldn't we kick it out immediately? If a big bug flew in here right now and landed on your arm, your natural super fast reaction would be to knock it off. 
This is like a huge mental bug that's been sucking you dry for years, and you don't entertain the possibility of throwing it off. Why is that? Why is that essential movement to get free from something that's hostile been muted in you, has been muted, has been shut off? How is that possible? Well, this is how I saw it, is that the selfing has convinced you that you're it. Yeah? When it comes into your relationships, you call it me. When it comes into your financial affairs, it's you again. Yeah? When it comes into the idea of the future, it's you. Yeah? It walks right in through every door, every door in your life. It walks right in. Never, it's, its papers are never checked. You know, its history of success is never looked at. It's always totally relied on. And you're seeing from there. That's called the utter complete defeat by self. Yeah? So what would happen if the root of that is the act of being identified as it? Because what happened with me, when something occurred and I saw I wasn't it, yeah, just saw it like very quickly, that I wasn't it, what all that meant, it. The next thing my mind entertained, the next thing was I could be free of it. Now I've been under it for years trying to be free from it, but as it, yeah, I was in that dilemma they talk about which self was trying to get out of self which can't succeed because you can't get out of an imaginary place. You can't leave a place you're not actually at. Yeah? No matter how many maps you have about the trip from there to somewhere else, it still doesn't verify that you're actually where you think you are. Yeah? So if you attempt to get out of self as a self, that's what you call being in self. Yeah? That's what it does with spiritual practices. It claims a spiritual practice, and as it uses it just like it uses everything else, to bond the mind to the idea of being the practitioner. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it comes in contact with a beautiful, noble, 3,000-year-old tradition, or a corporate job. It'll do the exact same movement of taking advantage of whatever it comes in contact with. It doesn't care about wearing robes or black leather with tattoos. It could care less about all the... All the uh, Uniforms it can put on and off, but the funny thing is, the one uniform you're not questioning is the one that presents itself as your skin. Yeah? It's like the one pair of glasses you've called your eyes, you'll never entertain being, uh, being able to take them off, because you'll never even feel around to see them. You'll just assume that these are my eyes. You'll never go like this. How can you get free from something you don't even know is there? All you can do is get therapy for it, try to make it better. Hopefully, maybe you'll have a six-month-long relationship without flipping out. You know, can go through a whole picnic without getting crazy and, you know, making a big scene. These meager little ideas of a little... It's just adding a couple links to the leash, you know? You're still bonded to the same idea you've been bonded to. It's the same voice I was telling you how great it was shooting up. It's the same voice that's critiquing your program right now. It's the same freaking voice. It hasn't changed one bit. The topic it's talking about has changed. That's all. It's the same freaking thing. <laughs> you think it's shifted by you getting sober? <laughs> it just took a new strategy. That's all. So there is a solution. The solution really is perhaps there isn't actually a problem. Okay? If you aren't 
See, this is so beautiful. If you get it, that that problem can only reach the level of seemingly so. It cannot be so. What so is giving it the meaning of being so. You are the what so. Yeah? You are the what so that's giving that the meaning of being so. It can only seem to be so to what is so. Yeah? When you realize that, then in a sense the problem doesn't exist. It appears. It can't exist. What happens to the solution then? That goes away also. You don't need a freaking solution if there isn't a problem. That's the highest level of solution. You don't need a special pocket to put it in. You don't need it at all. There's no need for a freaking solution. That's a damn good solution. It's like in recovery, the high level they bring it to is the problem does not exist for you. But the only way that stabilizes is if the problem doesn't exist as you. When it doesn't exist as you, you will have a lot of experiences that is not existing for you. A lot. It may stabilize into the, your way of life. Yeah? But it's a huge difference. If the problem doesn't exist for you, it will exist again as you. But if it doesn't exist as you, you'll see it through. Yeah? You'll have a freedom of when it's seeming appearing to be or not to be. Not only just when it's not appearing to be, but when it's appearing to be, you'll see through that also. Yeah? That to me is worthy of the term solution. That it totally becomes obsolete. The solution becomes obsolete as soon as the problem is seen as imaginary. Fucking a great solution, therefore you can't lose it. <laughs> because if you believe you have a solution, I'm telling you, your mind also believes it can lose it. I'm telling you. Can't escape the dualistic, like two sides of the same coin. If you believe you achieved it, you can also believe you're gonna unachieve it by not doing something that you thought you did to bring it about. That's still a fucking form of bondage. But if it's in your inherent condition, if it's your inherent condition, if it's the condition prior to all other conditions, if it's an unconditional condition, yeah, it's sort of like the sky. Allowing everything else to happen in it, but not being affected by what's happening in it. Yeah? Fourth of July explosions don't rip the sky open. Planes don't call the tower saying they ran, ran into a big chunk of sky. When it rains, the sky doesn't get wet. When a bird shits, it doesn't land on the sky. It lands on your car or on your clothes. Yeah? The sky facilitates a lot of stuff, yet none of the stuff that happens in it affects it. That's what the mind is like. And you are that mind. You are what's looking right now. It's been determined that it's a who's looking, and that causes you to keep looking for. And St. Francis was trying to save us all our time and says, what you're looking for is what's looking. He just tried to turn the whole thing around. He didn't give you an 800-page dissertation. He says, what's looking is what you're looking for. If the what's looking isn't acknowledged, you'll be looking for quite a lot. But what's looking is what you're looking for. It doesn't say who's looking, because that's what we believe. It's me that's looking. <laughs> that's the ignorance. It says what's looking is what you and I are looking for. What would happen if you, that dawned in you? Your looking for would change dramatically. <laughs> you wouldn't be looking for what's looking anymore. <laughs> you may be looking for surf 
or you know, a new car, or some pants at the thrift store, but you wouldn't be looking for what's looking. You'd be very clear what's looking is what's looking at the thrift store and looking for the surf <laughs> and watching the Yankee game. You'd be very clear about that. <laughs> and maybe watching the Yankee game wouldn't mean as much as it used to do in the head that was looking for. You shouldn't be watching the Yankee game. <laughs> you should be out meditating or going to see another teacher. <laughs> As if that's going to lead you. <laughs> when is it, when is it, how many days have you had, just how many times in one day have you had what you were doing was totally okay with your little agitated mind? And maybe it was okay for five minutes or ten minutes, but then the critiquing occurs well, you've done a lot of this now. Maybe it's time to stop. Or, you know, who knows that you <laughs> And isn't your attention just drawn to that? Why is it so drawn to that? Because it believes it's about itself. That's the only thing that's interesting. It's not interesting. If I have this stuff running in your head, and in my head, and I see it's David's, I'd be bored stiff in like three seconds. I'd turn the channel, boom, like that. I would. Yet, the similar, similar dialogue in a dialogue for 40 years has been running, and it still has this novelty. Why? Because there's a hope that's about me somehow. You know? It's going to show another facet of me. It's going to show what I've always known and no one else sees, how wonderful or authentic I am. It's all this hope to be special and right. <laughs> and unique. <laughs> it's like an addiction, isn't it? Well, I found from the relief of it that the addiction roots is rooted in the identification as a self. Now, you may not believe it or not, but that's the invitation. That's it. I haven't seen that dawn on me. It hasn't changed in many years. It became the last answer. And that's why we always have an introductory meeting. It never needs to advance from there because if you, if you leave there without a clear understanding, it doesn't matter what the fuck you do. There'll be still a strong sense and a belief that it's you doing it. Yeah. You might as well just stay on it and do what you're doing and see if it downloads. And if it downloads, you'll start sensing a traveling lighter, and then you're on to something. Just keep entertaining. Yeah. If you seem to forget, you come to one of these meetings, and you'll be reminded, and then you go out. And the whole thing is, you're the living scripture. We're not giving you a book. There's nothing to study. Entertaining isn't studying. Entertaining is just like a mind has looking out of an open door and it's not picturing anyone special coming in like Z or anything. It's just looking out through the door and what shows up, it acknowledges, yeah? It's like looking at the sky. If a bird doesn't show up, it just gazes. If a bird sees the bird, it's just acknowledged. You know, it's just there. It's not expecting to see anything special. It just sees what's happening. Yeah? That's called entertaining. So this is an idea, we put it in there, the mind may gravitate towards it or not, you know, it doesn't matter. If it does gravitate towards it, uh, there'll be the ability to re-entertain it by meetings so that you can entertain the possibility, and you'll become the truth teller, you, well up in you. It's not going to be injected from the outside like a drug. It's going to be your own mind is going to wake up out of its little story. Yeah? 
It's going to expand, and in this expansion, you'll start intimating what it is. So if you have a disease of alcoholism, it's good to get the right diagnosis. I would say that, you know, like I remember I, uh, well, I won't go there. Let's just say if you had a rash and you didn't know what it was, so you've got ointments and you put it on the rash. And let's say it doesn't really, wasn't really changing, but you were hoping it was going to change and you believe this could, so you get a lot more moisture, more ointment, but it still doesn't really change the rash. So hopefully you move to another one. Then you put, you know, you put some of this on and it works. And then you go, oh, you'll read its thing and says, this is for psoriasis. Then you realize you had psoriasis. Yeah? Because you got the relief from it. Yeah? This is what it's like. So the idea is that identification is the activity of the mental process called selfing to bind the mind to an idea of being a self. Yeah? That's the root of the problem. Entertain it. See if it works out for you. Yeah? You can start with, am I the thinker of the thoughts? Or is there a thought underneath there saying that I'm the thinker of the thoughts? That's never seen as thought. It seems to be in place. And it sort of holds every other thought that you're the thinker of it. The thoughts aren't what bonding you. They're facilitating the bondage. The real root of the bondage is the being the thinker. Yeah. So, let's say the thought system self-inclaims it. Now it projects as you're, you're the one who's being the thinker. Now the thought system is used to facilitate it, the bondage of self. Feeling system, now you're the feeler of it. That feeling system is now used to facilitate the bondage of self. Seeing, totally co-opted. It's a form of looking. Now that looking is used to facilitate the bondage of self. Yeah. Hearing, I'm the hearer. Everything you hear is used to bond you to self. Language, definitely used you to bond to self. Yeah. When someone says, Paul, oh, you're, here, you're growing your hair longer... I go, no, I'm actually not growing my hair longer. I'm just not cutting it yet. But the language sort of implies that I'm doing something I have nothing to do with. Yeah, It's doing that quite a lot. The language all day, this innocent talking with each other, is like a transsetter. It's always assuming and implying that we're, we have something to do with something we have nothing to do with. Yeah, It's always insinuating, implying, inferring, pointing at... But the seeming moon is pointing at, there isn't one. The mind makes the leap into being what's pointed at, but only seemingly so. Yeah? It can only seem to be what's pointed at. And it can seem to be so real because it's the reality giving it that fucking meaning. I'm always happy to hear the news, to tell you the truth. Like they say the word gospel means good news. To me, it's great news. Instead of praying for a savior or from some new method or putting it off to the next week I go on a retreat, the immediacy of the solution is so fucking profound. It's, you're in it right now. No matter how you think you are, it's only thinking you are that. You are something already. I say, actually, so you are nothing already. What freedom is true freedom if it's put off in time? What is that? Is that true freedom? That it's still conditioned by time?
how does the will fit into this? Um, recently I've been um, kind of fascinated at watching my mind during meditation and I get really distracted from wanting to focus on meditation. I've been trying to build clarity and actually build resolve. And so my mind starts saying, you can't build resolve, what does that mean? And all these thoughts start to come up. And I realized that I can like cut through them by like just tapping into the will and saying, I know how to do this, I don't need to think about it. You know? So there's it's almost like I'm noticing that there's two different things going on. There's like the thought, the story that comes up, and then there's just like, this is what I'm doing right now. And it sort of cuts through everything, just like I'm building resolve, I'm refocusing on the breath or whatever, you know. So is the will something different and when we talk about turning a will over how does that relate to self well in that situation I would see I think a mental state is seeing another mental state so the mental state of believing and resolve and this and that and having will to cut through another mental state there's a being that's the context of that but it's not the being that has resolve and will yeah that's the only value I have in it all. To see mental a, a mental state will claim to be the seer of other mental states, <clears throat> implying that it's the true being. It's another mental state usually. Yeah. Seeing is contextual. It's not a point of view, seeing another point of view, that's the greater point of view. They're both points of view. Yeah, they're both mental states. So uh I don't know. Uh, I would say like I'm a, a slacker spiritualist, maybe. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I just don't. You know, I'm not into will and resolve or anything like that. I like it. To me, it's more relaxed awareness. It's just a recognition. You know, will and resolve appear, but it's not being marshaled up for a grand march into a mythical solution. You know, sometimes I need resolve during the day, and it arises. But it, you know, it's not like resolve. You know, it just comes up. It's useful, and then it goes away. Yeah, will. Yeah, comes up, useful, goes away. Yeah, and uh, I'd be careful with tr- making a goal of what you already are. Yeah, because you're never going to reach it through clarity or anything else. That's my opinion. Other people may say you will, but that's not been my sense of it. Yeah? So I would just be clear. Uh, but this, to me, what we are can't be approached by doing and having. It doesn't work well. You can't do and have yourself into a state of being. You are a state of being already. Yeah? Doing and having is part of the content. Will and resolve is part of the content or the movement of that mind, maybe in manifestation. There's millions of aspects of mind that show up here, will, resolve, all this stuff. But don't be fooled by the manifestation of it. You know? The other thing is empty, inherently empty. No will and no resolve, just emptiness. You know, like a total... uh, It's hard to put... You can't describe it in a way. It's just not of this place not working like we think things work yeah so what let's say if I want to get a job maybe I need will and resolve 
But if I want to be what I am, will and resolve may not be the way. Because uh, you are the way, in a way. In a way, you are the way. By the way. <laughs> so, that's, that's my opinion. Other people uh, would say other things. But then, they also back up what they say by having a lot of practices and things to do. We never give anything to do here for years because I don't believe there's anything really you can do about it. I bet it, I'd rather have you sit with nothing. I think that's much more revealing than adding on to something. That's a meditation. I mean, that's actually the ultimate meditation, sitting with no mental content. Content. You're not putting anything on it or seeking anything. You're just resting in what is, which is kind of silence or infinite possibility or nothingness, as you say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this is an interesting dilemma because, uh, you know, occasionally I sit again without any much goal or whatever, or resolve for that matter. But uh, if I encounter resistance or, or just unwillingness to do it, um, rather than convince myself I need to have a will or resolve or I'm just, you know, whatever, uh, I, I just check my mind if, am I truly convinced that I need to meditate? And usually there is a part of me that says, nah, you know, forget it. So what you really need to do, you end up doing. But oftentimes when there is a dilemma and unwillingness to do it, it's, you know, we are divided. You know, part of you is saying, oh, this is useless, I'd rather be whatever. So uh, if you just really tune into yourself, uh, you'll find out that you end up doing what you need to do. And, and you know, there is a little shoot guy that tells you, oh, well, you should be, you know, that's, you know, the so... Yeah, it's sort of like here. It's, it's, there's no right or wrong with it. It's sort of like, uh, let's say, someone is expecting a workout and they're looking to go to the gym and they go into like a Christian Science reading room. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to work. They want to get on there and pump up and this and that, which is all fine and dandy. But we're like cod salesmen here. Yeah, we only sell cod. And there may be a lot of different kinds of fish, and they can be presented and done up different ways. But we've been pretty consistent, just. Raw cod, you know. You do the grilling or the sautéing or the sushi. Yeah, this is just yeah, simple, simple invitation and a simple message. Now, uh, yeah, and see what it does for you. If you feel a need to do something, then probably you should do it. Well, isn't that isn't there a directive in the twelve steps that the one thing we have to do is turn out a lever? There's some kind of. It's almost like. Yeah, but know how great it would be if you realized it wasn't your will to turn over? Then you would even free from the idea of having to do that one step of turning it over. <laughs> because, of course, if you turn it over, like many people's experience is this, they go, oh, I surrendered, and then two days later they've taken it back, and then surrender and taking it back. That all comes from the idea that it was yours to turn over. That's what gave that impossibility the possibility to play out. That they gave it back, gave it over, and turned, took it back, gave it over. That only becomes possible by the impossibility that it was your will. Yeah, that's the only way that happens. So we're going the backwards. We're real. We're entertaining. I'm not that which seems to have a will, and therefore I don't have to turn it over, and therefore it's never taken back. <laughs> it totally, it totally skirts a huge issue I've watched in recovery tons of times. It skirts the whole issue, not by prevent, uh, setting up a roadblock and having them turn off here, but stopping the journey to begin with. 
That's the solution. Yeah? Haven't you seen it? People go, I surrendered, I surrendered, and then I took it back, and it all went crazy. And then, oh, then they get to the point, hopefully, that light kicks the living hell, and then they surrendered again. Yeah? And it's really great on an experiential level, and there's nothing like having a surrender as a self and an experience. But it's much better surrender. Surrendered is there's nothing to surrender. <laughs> That's the real relief. Yeah. <laughs> if I take the one step that I have a will, and then yeah, I get to the choice of I can turn it over or not, you see that? But the choice is based on that, that I have the will. We, I don't want the choice. But the what's so is allowing yeah, and then it will not allow it to happen also. You can be led there. So, what's worthy? Oh, it's because, what, Sawana? No, why? Because it's maybe simple. It's very simple. It's very simple, and it's difficult to take the simplicity and put it into a complex system and make sense of it. Just like in in our world, when we see things as they are, we call it paradoxical. We call them mysteries. Only because we're trying to hold them by a failed system. So what actually works doesn't make sense to us. We can't see that, oh, you know, you know what I mean? We can't see like they call in the Tao the way. We can't recognize it. We keep taking what we see and trying to make sense out of it in the failed system. And so the best we can do with how things really work, it's mysterious, it's paradoxical. It isn't fucking paradoxical. That's how it works. This is the fucking incredible paradox that we keep reliance on something that's totally unreliable. <laughs> that's a huge paradox, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's the one that... That's just a real mystery. How, why do I keep doing this? <laughs> what the definition of insanity? Why is it that this head keeps doing the same thing, expecting different results? That's the fucking paradox. Yeah, things. It's so weird how it works. I gave up, and everything came to me. That's how it works. You know what I mean? You have it by giving it away. What coke dealer ever practiced that? Giving away their coke and they had it. No. But in this, the way things really work is you have it by giving it away. Yeah. Now, some people would see that as totally paradoxical, but it isn't paradoxical at all. It's only paradoxical if you're seeing it from a wrong view. Yeah. So the confusion doesn't uh, isn't coming up from what's being offered; it's what's receiving the offering or what's claiming the offering is what's confusing it. Yeah. The offering is, hasn't changed since you first met me. Hasn't changed one iota. We've been offering the same thing, the same. Cod for I don't know how many years. Yeah? People call me up, oh, what are you going to be talking about this week? Same thing. <laughs> when are you going to progress into another topic? No. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> because I saw it just in Buddhism. Look at Buddhism. They have this thing called the Eightfold Noble Path. Yeah? And that's after you have the four noble truths, which is what's the cost of suffering, and then they talk about desire. But I take desire away. In the mental state, it's called the desire to become to me. That's what selfing is. That's the whole emphasis of selfing, is the mind's desire to become something that it can't be. 
So it's, an, it's a thwarted desire, never to be fulfilled. Why do you think you have irritability, restlessness, and discontent? What's driving all the seeking? It's that. What's driving the seeking is the irritability of a, of a thwarted desire of the mental process. It wants to be a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Yeah? But it isn't. So then it says, all right, now if you get the root, root of the problem, the suffering or this malaise, and that this is how to get out of it, it says the Eightfold Noble Path, and if you look at it literally, the first one says right view, which is what I hope we're attempting to rest in here, yeah? Right view. And then it says right livelihood, right meditation, right understanding, right wisdom, whatever it is. Right, 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 right. goes all the way. But the right is rooted in the first one. Without the right view, I don't see meditation as being right. I don't see understanding as right. I don't see livelihood as right. I don't. Yeah? So the view is this. Yeah? It's actually a vision in a sense. So let's take it as a view. So, all right, let's see if we can get the right view in place. And then maybe what you thought wasn't worthwhile, you may find value in it. The same activity you're doing before the view seemingly rested in rightness, you'll see that your, your idea of value and right and wrong is much, it gets a lot more blurred. You know what I mean? When I want to go into like meditative state, I lay down, trance. I don't have to sit up with my back prone anymore. I just lay down. <laughs> and if I go to a sweat and it's too hot, I leave. <laughs> you know, it's trying to get better <laughs> in a way. <laughs> so the right view will will make a lot of things that in your without the right view you think are wrong. And then things that you think are so noble, they'll be changed, the meaning, because they'll be infected with the right view all the way down the line. But without the right view, I don't think you can produce the right view by meditation, livelihood, this and that. I don't think it works that way. Or they would have put those first. They would have put those first and then said, these culminated into the right view. But they start with the right view. They don't start, they don't have it as the end point. It's the beginning point. Yeah. So for me, I said, after a while, everyone's getting something all the time. Why not let's have them get nothing? Because that's what you get at the end after all your acquisition of something. You're left with nothing anyway, right? Why not start with nothing and just stay there? Just pause. Don't, no, don't go from nothing to super nothing, the super turbo extreme nothing. Just stay in the ordinary dog shit awareness nothing. Every week, every day, Every meeting for year upon year upon year. <laughs> and see how it works. I found it to be, to me, this is, I'm, I'm pledged to this. This is how I see it. How could I do anything else? Something has to decide to stop entertaining, or to, to entertain that I'm not right. Something has to decide that. Though. Yeah, mine. Not you. Mine. But then I don't have any power over that. Hallelujah. It produces great rest. So I don't have any power over whether or not I'll ever be able to entertain that I'm not that. You're entertaining right now, right? That you're not that. Yeah. But that's what's entertaining, is what you are. What you're entertaining that you're not is what's entertaining. That's what you are. See? So right now, you are exactly what you're atten- entertaining yourself not to be. You can't get out of it. That's the good news. 
You can't get out of what you are, no matter how much you... See, the emphasis, let's say, in your head may be on what you're not, and that's what's driving what you're not crazy. <laughs> and you're hoping, and it may work, who knows, because mind can't, like in the Course it says, whatever mind's intention is, it's going to come to pass because it's mind. So when you're thinking, you're the one who's going to have to choose, mind, in a sense, is choosing, not you. You're an afterthought. There's the choice, seemingly, and then the, and then the mental process arises and says, oh, I made the choice. And it puts you as the one who made the choice. But mind is doing what it's doing. When mind wants to wake up, it may do it over a period of time. It may suddenly just say, fuck it all, I'll drop this dream like that. Who knows? But you'll, you'll find out, yeah? But the idea is the emphasis may be on what you're not still. And then from there, what you are is a goal to what you're not, yeah? And there's still a thing that I want to be there when I arrive at what I'm not. <laughs> I want to get what I'm not. That ain't going to happen. Yeah? It's more of a, a forgetfulness of that, of the idea of being Amy, a forgetfulness of that, that allows what you are to become obvious here. Yeah? But, it, but when you're really engaged in being Amy, you want it to become obvious to Amy. And that's why it doesn't seem obvious. Yeah? It's not going to become obvious to Amy. It's going, to become, it's going to become obvious when Amy is forgotten. Like it's St. Francis says, it's in self-forgetting. Yeah? Or a great Zen master, Dogen, said, to study Buddhism is to study the self, and to study the self is to forget the self. Yeah? So it's in forgetfulness that, in a sense, you're reborn. Yeah? But when you're trying to remember the forgetfulness, <laughs> that's confusing. Yes. It's hell, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you want to uh, define the mind further? You know, when you say that the mind knows, I kind of I know exactly what you mean. You mean the big mind, yeah. not the rational mind. That that's you know right, wrong, blah, blah, blah. It's you know the big universal mind, whatever name you want to call it. But it's not that small, rational, I'm right, he's wrong kind of mind. No, that's an activity. I would say that's more mentation, right. mentation like mentalness, and then there's mind. I think we're calling mental states and mental activities as mind. It's not... It's like a fascination of mind moving through the brain. Yeah. Yes. The brain thinks, yeah. Uh, thoughts occur. Yes, so... That's today. Can we grab that basket, please? Oh, yes. Oh, well, I have one here. We like the bucket. Bucket? Yeah. I can hear the change when it goes in there. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, remember, it's an invitation. Yes? It's not a, not meant to add any more weight on the situation. It's hopefully it will be a leavening agent. Yeah? There's no pressure. We're not on a race. It's not like Ramana Maharshi says, hey, you're walking around this big bundle, and then you get on the train, and you're still standing on the train as it's going with the bundle on your head. He says, take the... Bundle down. You're on a train, bro. <laughs> you're going where you're going. Don't worry. <laughs> you don't have to be concerned. You're not the you're not the vehicle. You know what I mean? You're not the doer. You put it down. The train takes you. This is what we need. The so- Cat Stevens peace train. Come on. Like, <laughs> All right. Peace train. Yeah. We can do a road. <laughs>
Humor is helpful, you know, enjoyment, humor. Like Rule 62 in AA, don't take yourself so seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right, well, we can end with a prayer. Oh, yes, and uh, one of our cult members is selling chocolate. If you like to buy any. Yes. She's, in, she's going through a Catholic uh, transformation. Hallelujah. A convert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like that one. Oh, you want to do you know, one in here? All right, so the wee version of Eternity Prayer. God, God, bread of Eternity, who has done the things that cannot change. The courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to learn the difference. Keep coming back, it works, and it works. Welcome, Dave. I'll be on the